Next-generation sequencing technology can produce accurate and reliable sequence information for most parts of the genome, and it's increasingly being used in clinical genetic testing. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Adams of the Undiagnosed Diseases Program at the NIH's National Human Genome Research Institute. Dr. Adams has co-authored a Frontiers in Medicine article on next-generation sequencing in suspected genetic disease. Dr. Adams, next-generation sequencing is now being used in many settings where genetic testing is taking place. So what are the clinical advantages of next-generation sequencing as compared with other available techniques? I think that the principal advantage is the fact that it covers a wide territory of genetic testing inexpensively. Before, we would stage genetic testing so that we would perhaps sequence a set of genes that were most likely, and then if those came back without clear results, we would sequence another set of genes. With next-generation sequencing technology, it's possible to do large panels or even all of the genes in the genome at one time, providing some efficiency and also creating the potential to create a more rapid diagnosis for the family. So, as you say in your article, that means that significant amounts of information are being produced, but the diagnostic rate is quite variable. So, how should clinicians counsel their patients in terms of that diagnostic rate and in terms of actually confirming a genetic diagnosis? Well, that's a very good question, and I think it's an important part of the whole testing process to discuss with the family what the possible results of the testing will be. So results are often in the 25% range for all comers, but depending upon the population being tested, they can be higher or lower than that. And I think families need to be told that they can receive results that are clearly diagnostic. They can receive results that are unclear or they could receive results that are negative and either rule out a diagnosis or don't produce any usable information. And so when the physician is thinking about doing the testing, much like other medical tests that we use, counseling the family about the possible outcomes is important to help temper their expectations. Particularly as new genes are discovered, what kind of follow-up processes are in place to advise patients if a variant that they have is determined to be significant at a later date? Also a good question, and that is a part of our field that's very much in flux at the moment. So the idea of reanalyzing data that's been collected in the past, for instance, using the genomic information as a lifelong clinical research has not gelled into a set of procedures that are being uniformly applied in all settings. In many cases, those reanalysis techniques are initiated by the family or initiated by the physician. If they have a question, they can go back to the testing laboratory and ask them to look at the data again. There are some laboratories that are also doing internal reanalysis where newly published genes will be put into a list that then is applied to older cases. But again, those processes haven't settled down into a uniform set of procedures that a physician can use to reliably expect what's going to happen happen in the future after one of these tests is done. You suggested earlier that next-generation sequencing is perhaps more cost-effective than other techniques, but it's an expensive technology. Can you say something about what those costs are and who's covering them? The coverage of exome testing varies. Overall, we've seen a pattern of increased coverage by insurance companies as the case is made that if used appropriately, exome and genome clinical testing can speed up the diagnostic process and result in savings. 
However, the test is expensive, and so it needs to be weighed against more specific testing if there's a strong clinical hypothesis. So it's certainly not a panacea that's usable in all circumstances, but in the specific circumstance where there's a large number of items on the clinical differential diagnosis that fall into a testable genetic category, or cases where the disease is anticipated to have new discoveries, it's an active area of research, it should be considered even with the increased cost for those reasons. In this era of preventive and precision medicine, what do you see as the role of next-generation testing in healthy people? That's another area that needs additional research. Certainly, pharmacogenomics, for instance, is an area of active research, and the results have been a little bit mixed in terms of generating guidance for physicians at the time when they are prescribing medications. One of the things that is going to help to expand this field and to give us clearer guidance are large-scale genomic initiatives like the All of Us initiative, which is trying to look at multifaceted information from a person's life, both information that you can collect with sensors, plus information from genomics, plus medical record information to try to see how those could be integrated to improve a person's life. But again, that field is not advanced enough that there are clear benefits that indicate that we should start using the technology on a broad scale immediately. I think there's tremendous potential there to anticipate diseases and to refine medical care, but research efforts need to be put in to get us to the place where we have that information in a clearly clinical grade status. Finally, beyond that issue of testing in healthy people, what do you see as the future of next-generation sequencing? What can we look forward to? I think that next-generation sequencing is going to become more broadly used, both as single-gene disorders become identified, and so the number of cases in which it's going to be diagnostic for a highly penetrant disease increases. Clearly, there is a place for it in the healthcare of healthy people. Once we get to the point where we've got a database of connections between genetic changes and health effects that's sufficient to warrant its broad-scale use, and I think that there are probably unanticipated uses of that information that on the other side of the coin, we need to watch out for. So how is this information potentially going to be used by insurance companies, by employers? It's not a source of information that's completely benign, and I think the future is going to hold further work on the ethics and acceptable application of the information for individuals. Thank you, Dr. Adams.